0: Steve welcome back man off uh off from living that road life.
1: Yeah yeah man we just just got back late last night had a blast with the family went and went all the way down to basically the end destination was end destination was Sedona Arizona and spent spent four days down there meeting um my wife's sister and her husband and he and I got to do a lot of mountain biking down there which was fun it's a cool uh some pretty technical kind of fun trails down there we got some riding in and then Hit the Grand Canyon, hit up uh, Bryce Canyon, which is this really cool place to go take to the family, go do some hiking. And yeah, now we're back home.
0: Yeah. You didn't do too much like new age hippie stuff when you're in Sedona, did you? Like get, like read some crystals or something <laughs> like that? You know,
1: yeah, that's funny, man. I had no idea about any of that stuff going down <laughs> there. And yeah, it's, it's uh, these vortexes. I, I don't even know what the hell they are. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> I haven't, I've been to the grand canyon i have not been to sedona but i've just you know heard that type of stuff about it it's a different can be a different crowd or whatever oh yeah (laughs) that's fun cool man well yeah that's uh things going good here it was fun last night a buddy of mine came over and um brought over a deer that his son had shot and they needed help with like meat care so spent last night doing that and it was uh My buddy took out his son. It was youth season, the opener of youth season for us this weekend. And so it was this kid's first hunt, first time uh, being out in the woods, really on a big game hunt and uh, got a deer right away. So the kid spoiled his cool eight point buck. And I was like, heck yeah, it's always just always fun to like see, you know, kids getting involved and obviously having success early is going to help get that kid hooked. So it's kind of fun to be a little bit part of that. Yeah, that's freaking awesome. Yeah, so. Cool. We got some uh, listener questions and things to tackle on this Monday Minutes. Um, kick things off first. You know, We had obviously chatted recently about our rifle elk hunt, And one of the things we mentioned uh, from that was running the SIG Kilo range-finding binoculars. And we had a few guys actually reach out with questions about that. Um, some specific, some non. But long story short, essentially asking how we felt about them. Um, how we felt about them for the price, how they compared to other options um, on the market, et cetera. So, you know, one thing to hit there is, uh, you know, there's range finding binoculars in general that will just obviously get you yardage. And then the SIG and a couple others, they're range finding and have some sort of ballistics engine built into them. So that's a super cool benefit. Rifle hunting is not, you know, being able to just range and say, okay, that's 400 yards, but range says it's 400 yards. And then for your specific ballistics profile, your rifle, the bullet you're shooting, um, even the um, like density altitude that you're at, for example, those environmental variables, being able to have that solution and say it's 400 yards and it's, you know, 3.8 MOA or what have you. So, uh the SIG does that, so it's not just range finding it's range finding and ballistics and to be honest with you at at the price point of those sigs um I think street price they're running eleven hundred i believe somewhere right around there um there's just really not much competition um or alternatives out there uh you know vortex has range finding binos. Swaro, Leica, Zeiss. There's other options out there, but especially the Swaro, Leica, Zeiss, they're, they're going to be at a much different price point. Um, and so, at the price point they're at, the SIGs are great, um, particularly in terms of range finding. Um, you know, they've been accurate. It's easy to get uh, a good number on something, they're quick to use for sure. Um, I think the most important thing, what we found Steve over using them in the field more and more is just keeping in mind at that price point with that feature set, it's not going to compete directly with like a swirl level bino. Um, I think I'd mentioned in the past, like I had, I was running, uh, vortex razors prior to running the SIGs and they were relatively comparable, um, in most ways, you know, there's kind of some pros and cons to both of those just from optical perspective, but Overall, I think they're a good solution, um, for the price point. You look at stepping up and like, you know, Zeiss is n- another one of the range finding binos that has a ballistic solution, but they're running like three grand plus. Um, so yeah, they're just like at a unique price point feature set that, you know, makes them pretty attractive if that's what you're in for. Um, what are your thoughts on them, Steve?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I echo basically everything you said that they are the range finding, the, the BDX system inside of it is fantastic. I, I brought up um I've got a SIG just kind of regular uh maybe twenty four hundred, just kind of the irregular handheld rangefinder and use that for bow hunting and rifle hunting. Um and when it comes to rifle hunting, uh or or go, go back when it comes to bow hunting, I'm not I'm not a fan of the binocular rangefinder. Um I think it's just I, I like having that extra that smaller kind of units that you can just easily kind of maneuver. Um, just when you're in tight quarters with with an elk or whatever. Um but with the deer or with rifle hunting, um, it was just fantastic because you especially like when you and I were kind of going out that one finger ridge, it's like I'm glassing, glassing, and then you're just kind of always curious like, well, is that in range? If I see an elk there, can I shoot? And so just the button is, you know, right there at the tip of your finger. You push the button. Oh, it's 450 yards. Yeah, I can shoot. Um, it's just like super handy. Like I was constantly checking ranges to see you know what was uh, in range and uh, just really handy tool to have so really my only disappointment with them came in just the low light situation that the night before opener we're sitting there glassing and that last 15 minutes especially and that's what separates you know three thousand dollar binos from thousand dollar binos or um is that getting that performance at the very end of the day so other than that though they were fantastic
0: yeah Yeah, we had, you know, I think this was your first trip with them, Steve. I actually used them last year, the kilos on our Kodiak hunt and our caribou hunt. So I've had them, um, you know, in the field for that. And yeah, I mean, exactly what you said, like 95% of the conditions, you know, in terms of just daylight, their optical quality is great. It's just that, you know, those margins, the first light and last light is where, you know, things just aren't as clear or sharp. You just don't have the clarity and the resolution and the light. Um, to pick things apart like you could, you know, with a pair of Swaros, for example. But um, overall, yeah, they're great. I mean, one one thing that we ran into, Steve, and to be honest with you, I had completely forgot about this. I had looked at it last year when I first got these and was kind of like studying up on the binos, if you will. But you had mentioned you were ranging far distances, and I've ranged things with these binoculars at like 2,000 yards plus. But you weren't getting your moa holdover Mm -hmm. at extended distances and i looked and it's actually um so the the binoculars use applied ballistics which is ballistic software so essentially um i'm not speaking for sig but just a little bit aware how things works essentially sig is licensing applied ballistics to use their software in the product essentially um and there's different versions of applied ballistics and these binoculars use applied ballistics light which actually essentially gives them solutions out to 800 yards so that's like a hard stop something to be aware of if you're interested in binos is yes you can range things out to like two thousand, but you're only going to get that ballistic solution out to 800 oh, interesting. Um, that's certainly in my opinion for almost everyone should be suitable for like what you're truly doing in terms of hunting but keep that in mind even not just in a hunting context but if you're a long range shooter, you want to get out and shoot steel at 1100, you're not going to be actual to, um, to range any target beyond eight with these binoculars. So again, I don't think that's for most guys going to be a huge hang up, but it is something to be aware of if you are looking at these and in the market. All right. Steve got questions on Bivvy Sachs. You are Mr. Bivvy mostly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, It says, what brand of bivy sack do you use? I've heard you guys talk about using bivy sacks in the past, but I wasn't sure specifically which bivy you use. And then this guy also went on to say, I'm trying to decide between a hammock setup or a bivy setup for Colorado elk hunting. Thanks for the help. Love the podcast. Um, Two things. One is we can talk about specific bivvies, and then maybe just hit on uh, the idea of a bivy versus a hammock in general this guy's comparing the two and to me they're uh, pretty significantly different in terms of like called the user experience of mm, the life of using a bivy versus um, a hammock and then just think from a gear weight space perspective they're gonna be quite a bit different but uh, hit on bivy specifically steve what do you use
1: um yeah i've got uh, just one from jimmy's tarps and i don't believe they're in business anymore i'm not sure what's going on there um but uh yeah and you use that enlightened equipment one they're near identical designs um and yeah i've uh i guess if, to recommend one the only option i know of that is your enlightened equipment uh recon is that what it's called yes yeah yeah they're basically the same thing super lightweight fabric nice kind of mesh upper i guess keep in mind um these are not waterproof bivies in the sense that you can't just lay in them in a rainstorm. You have to have some type of tarp over you. So they're they're more or less give you a little bit of water protection from the underside. And if it's going to rain, you need to have a tarp over the top of you. But the the reason they are mesh is to reduce condensation and increase breathability. Um, and then they also one kind of side factor I don't think is talked about a lot. They increase the warmth of your sleeping system by quite a bit you know i'd say five degrees maybe even 10 degrees um just because you're kind of tucked up tight into this uh little sack You know, it's like crawling into a um, trash bag or something like that bad analogy because that doesn't breathe at all but um, <laughs> there's definitely a, a side benefit there of it's warmer to sleep and then then just like if you had your sleeping bag inside of a tent right because that tent's got so much space in there that you're trying to heat up you're just heating up the space inside that baby sack
0: yeah Cool. Yeah. The enlightened recon, um, is a great choice. It's very simple from materials perspective, really light, but it kind of has some nice quote unquote features, if you will, um, where the corners can be staked and almost have like a little support structure in the corners. Um, you know, it has a little drawstring for the mesh that goes over your face. So you can secure that up to a trekking pole or up to your tarp, or even if you're not using an over shelter, you know, but you have a branch nearby or overhead, you could basically pull it. So that mesh isn't laying on your face type thing. So there's some little things on the enlightened equipment, that's, you know, kind of nice besides just being a straight sack. That's a, is a great choice and still keeps it light. As you said, Steve, it's just very different. If guys are new to the idea of a bivy sack and like, say you just start Googling around, like, The baby sacks we're talking about are much different than looking at like what might pop up from say outdoor research where it's like a full Gore-Tex waterproof has the option to be fully enclosed baby sack. Those are going to be heavier and just honestly serve a different purpose um, than the baby sacks we're talking about. So I think you hit hit on the points there. Well, but it's just worth keeping that in mind. Um, and thoughts of this guy considering a, a bivy setup compared to a hammock. Um, yeah, there's just there's quite a few differences there to think through in terms of both livability and then also what that does to pack space, pack weight. Um, you know, the bivy sack, as you mentioned, Steve, you're obviously gonna have a sleeping pad, your bivvy sack, and then some sort of over shelter, so tarp, uh fly from a tent, something like that. With the hammock, you are going to have the hammock itself. Uh, You don't need a sleeping pad, but you will need still some sort of tarp. And I've noticed that for hammocks, that tarp is going to have to cover a much wider footprint to be usable to cover your hammock. Um, So you're going to need more space. And then you don't have the sleeping pad, but to do a tarp or to do the hammock, right, which we've talked about in the past, you're going to need some under insulation as well. So long story short, I mean, you're really not going to save space or weight by going to a hammock setup. Um, I would only consider a hammock setup if you just love the experience of sleeping in a hammock. So if you just flat out struggle to sleep on the ground, haven't found a sleeping pad that works for you, just can't get sleep on the ground no matter what, consider a hammock. Um, But you know, to do it right, it's it's not going to save you a ton of space or weight, not only compared to a bivy, but to be honest with you, even compared to a, a decent tent, a relatively light tent. And yes, they have the theoretical advantage of site selection, um, meaning you don't have to find a perfect flat spot or what have you. Um, you do have to find some usable trees, obviously, which depend on the country you're in, could be super easy. It could be everywhere. It could be difficult. And then I've just also noticed that even though you don't need a flat spot on the ground, you do need a decent chunk of space to like set it up um, and have that tarp and all that kind of situated properly. So they're not, they're just not as simple um, as I wish that they were to do a hammock setup. So there's some things to think through if you're considering hammock uh, versus bibby. but anything else to add there, Steve?
1: No. Yeah. I think you just, I've kind of done it all. haven't, haven't revisited the tarp. Uh, Or sorry, the hammock setup in in quite a few years, but uh, it's so dialed right now with the bivvy and tarp setup that um, I just can't imagine you know anything else uh, surpassing it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I you know I I've used hammocks a fair amount, especially outside of hunting, like more casual camping, uh, backpacking trips in favorable weather where I know I don't need a tarp and things like that, for example. Uh, And then on our archery hunt this year, uh, my buddy, Jared, I was hunting with used a hammock set up for that whole trip. So kind of gave me a fresh revisit perspective on using hammocks specifically for, you know, backcountry hunting um, in in the mountains and what that requires in terms of space, site selection, time of setup, space in the pack and all that. So it it was a good kind of like reminder of what all's involved. And it's just, as I said, it's just not as simple as I wish it was um but they can be incredibly comfortable so definitely uh not saying that they're bad just worth thinking through um a fun one steve you know i don't i'm sure at some point we've mentioned this on the podcast but one of my favorite little quote unquote like tips or tricks is the weather site uh that you and i both use to get forecasts um that are more pinpoint to uh mountain locations and specific backcountry locations and so, you know, if you're hunting in a certain area and that area is, you know, call it 20 miles from the nearest town and also at a much different elevation, if you pull up most weather apps, you can get a weather forecast for town. But if you're curious, like, what is a better forecast for my true hunting location? Um, that's where this comes together. So we actually had somebody reach out and said, I'm trying to figure out the best way to get a forecast for a general area or specific mountain range. Do you have any recommendations other than in-reach weather texts? I'm thinking more along the lines of the weeks or days leading up to the hunt and not necessarily during the hunt. Any in- insight would be appreciated. So one is he mentioned the in-reach weather feature, which is awesome. It's great to be able to check that um, in the field, especially if you're doing a multi-day hunt and you know think thinking the forecast may have changed now which could be five or seven days later from the last time you had service and checked it online but to answer the question about more of that pinpoint forecast um at forecast.weather.gov um, there is a specific feature on getting pinpoint forecasts so you can literally scroll around a map uh, pick a specific spot, you know in a mountain range and that the elevation And of course, it's not a weather forecast, like there's not a weather meter at any random spot you pick, but it's going to give you the closest, most realistic forecast. And I believe, I can't remember offhand, Steve, if that like shows, I think a five day forecast. So if you're, you know, days leading up to a hunt or going to check it right before you maybe pack in for three, five, seven days, it's going to give you some good information on both high and low. Uh, It's going to give you wind conditions, chance of precipitation, all that. Um and I found it to be I'm going to say on the money in terms of uh much more accurate than a general weather forecast for a town. Obviously weather forecasts are forecasts and only a guideline, but I have just found this to be super helpful. Uh yeah, what about you on that one?
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just weather.gov. You got to just it's funny cuz you just got to start clicking just kind of scroll down until you see the map. Um and then you just got to start clicking on it so you don't actually like any point enter a town at least i don't um but it just gives you a map of like the u.s and then you click on idaho and then you click on you know the roughly on the mountain range that you want to be in and then i gotta like zoom into the map uh and find the specific spot i want to be hunting and then click again and then that'll give you um that the forecast and so i just pulled it up it's doing um basically it's doing today through friday um on the there's a top part that gives you like pictures and kind of Tuesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, There's Thursday, icons. Thursday Friday. and then the, there's a, just kind of a written version below that goes through Sunday. So it's doing seven days. Um, but it's not quite as detailed, uh, on that seven day forecast. So, but yeah, extremely handy. It said it adjusts for elevation and, um, definitely one of the more accurate weather forecasting things I found. Um, as well as, um, yeah. Once I'm in the field, then yeah, pretty much. If I'm expecting bad weather, then I immediately start checking on the InReach because uh, that weather's been fairly accurate as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I just I will, you know, do that process you described, Steve, of essentially finding that pinpoint forecast by zooming around the map, and then I'll just save that URL because um, that URL updates as you retrieve that forecast, so you can just bookmark that page for that specific pinpoint. Um, You know, I did that on a recent Idaho elk hunt, for example. So you don't have to go through that process every time. It's just if you want to find it initially and kind of save that location, it's easy to do. Um, And I'll try and throw a link in the show description, um, just with a made up point to at least take you to an example page that shows the detail. Um, I'll pick a random spot. Actually, I'll just pick your house, Steve. I'm going to pinpoint right over your house (laughs) and then send that out to everybody. And so they can see what the weather's like at the Steve spec compound. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that's a wrap for today. This Monday minute. Hope you uh, pulled something out of that one. If you have a question for us for any future episodes, just send that email to podcast at xomountgear.com. And we'll be back with a full feature episode here shortly. So if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button. If you can share this show with a friend, that'd be awesome. Or leave us a review. That'd be much appreciated as well. We'll talk to you guys soon.